Are you ready? It's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I am super pumped to share this conversation with Jeff Booth, the author of The Price of Tomorrow, why deflation, not inflation, why deflation is the key to an abundant future. And if you're not familiar with Jeff, He's a Canadian, a tech entrepreneur who started a bunch of different companies. He is really successful with what he's done, and he decided to share his thoughts on the economy in this book. So he's kind of gone off his regular path of being an entrepreneur in the tech industry to write this book because he felt it was necessary to share this message. I just love that there are other Canadians out there sharing their message on what they think is happening in the economy, and Jeff comes at it from a completely different angle. Because in the past, we've talked about deflation on this podcast, but Jeff's using tech trends to illustrate why he thinks deflation is not only going to win the day, but it's the key to an abundant future for all of us. So we've always come at deflation from the angle that there's so much debt being created in the world that the central banks with their monetary policy are ultimately not going to be able to handle that debt bubble and deflation is going to win. Jeff's coming at it from the angle that technology is forcing deflation upon the central banks, whether they like it or not. So in this episode of the podcast, we dive deep into first principles, what he talks, what, why he talks about deflation, the way he talks about it from a technology angle. I think it's fascinating at the end of the, or maybe the last half hour of the podcast, we get into the ways forward and the ways out of our current situation and how this economy evolves from here. I love that conversation in the last few minutes. We could have talk for another half an hour because the last 10 minutes, I think we get into some of the technology he's seeing in some areas that I just found fascinating. So totally impressed by the guy. Great conversation. I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to share this type of information with you. I feel it's understanding these kinds of trends that allows us to position ourselves and our families to truly live life on our terms. Look, when we started Rockstar, just want everyone to be aware, everyone thinks we are really gung-ho about real estate because we are just such believers in real estate itself. The reason we love real estate so much is we understand that in an inflation-based economy, real estate is one way we can put the rules of the money game and work them to our own advantage. That hard assets, especially income properties that produce cash flow, are great things to have in a world structured the way it is. So we've been using real estate as a vehicle to kind of get ahead and to be able to help us live life on our terms. And it's why we spend so much time talking about real estate and diving into the ins and outs of real estate. It's really a vehicle to kind of win the money game, if you will. So I love talking about this kind of stuff. And listen, if you're interested in real estate and you want to know what we are doing in current day and adapting to different environments in real estate, you can always attend one of our free training classes where we share what we're doing with the Rockstar Inner Circle membership with Canadian investors right across the greater Toronto and Hamilton, the entire Golden Horseshoe era. You can register for the next class at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. Both Nick and I are on that. We're doing them virtually right now. We used to do them in the, in class, uh, sorry, in our office here, of course, but because of the way the world is right now, we've been doing them virtually. So if you'd like to attend the next one, it's www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. You can jump on that. We go through all the different property types that we're working with, all the different strategies. We share investor examples of all the different cash flow they're earning in different communities, how the mortgages are working in 2020, the whole bit. So if you're interested in that, you can grab a seat at www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. And with that, 
Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Jeff Booth. And I was just explaining to Jeff how grateful we are that he wrote his book and that we've been handing... I'm showing it to you like everyone listening to this can see me showing you the book. If you're listening to this, you can't see me holding up Jeff's book, but I've been handing out this book like candy to everyone who will take it. Because Jeff, I feel I totally feel like what you've written here is what we all, as Canadians, as everyone around the world, forget even Canadians, we all need to be discussing. So, so thank you for it. And to start, can you just talk about the whole idea of why deflation is the key to an abundant future? Like wh- sure. that idea, when I try to present deflation as a concept, I almost immediately lose people. And I still have questions about this as well myself that I want to dig into, but can you could just maybe at a high level walk us through that? Um, I, I, this is a hard concept to understand because we grew up thinking, relying on inflation. Um, and and all the economic models re- rely on inflation. We've never so everything we're taught, uh, everything we experience, has relied on ex- uh, inflation our whole lives. That's why this is such a difficult uh, topic to understand. It turns everything upside down. And 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 so let's just first not let, let's look at the facts of inflation deflation um, through good, instead of good or bad. Let's just look at the facts. Inflation is when your goods and services go up in relation to your money. So in other words, your money is worth less money um, every year. And, and deflation is the exact opposite. Your money is worth more every year as goods and services go down in price. So on both of those axes or both of those paradigms, there's not uh, uh, it's not good or bad. It's just different, different winners and different losers. So if you have if you have a bunch of debt, and uh, if you take a loan today and have inflation, then you pay back the loan with cheaper dollars tomorrow, and so it's good for asset owners, it's good for housing, it's good for real estate, it's good for uh, debt holders and everything else because you're paying back uh, paying back with cheaper dollars uh, tomorrow, and that's all predicated that you're going to make more over your lifetime. Right? And you make more each year over your lifetime, and you can pay back the debt uh, later. And and then on deflation, if you, so if you had deflation on the other side, your money goes further. You get more for less over and over and over again, and goods and services go down in price. So in a, so savings are rewarded in deflation. Debt is rewarded in inflation. And why that's really important to understand today is – is today we have uh, we used to be able to get away with inflation or a little bit of inflation, and uh, central banks would essentially create inflation um, and and uh, money supply and, and and growth, and we wouldn't see it even though our value of our dollars was going down all the time. We wouldn't see it. It was so slow that we wouldn't we wouldn't see it. But today, what's happened is technology is such a force that's driving deflation. So to, if you think about technology, just in, uh, simply, we use technology to reduce labor. Right? We Everywhere. 
that's what we do. That's what every technology company does. It's to, it, to do the things that we don't want to do. And we remove the labor with the, the technology. It's designed to make prices go down. Right. Um, and you're right. Actually, when I used to work at a database company, the old, and now that I'm in real estate, the old multiple listing service used to be books. Right. Then that information was put into a database and with SQL, you could pull out, you could do queries on the database, pull out whatever you needed and represent it in whatever form. What, what people used to do is they would literally go brokerage to brokerage and look at the listings in the listing book to see right. what was available for sale. Right. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Sometimes I think I just don't think of it in that way, but yes. I, so I, it's not you, I, it's everybody because we, we weren't. So, so every single company, the monopolies you use, not just you, me, all of the, you're actually celebrating deflation when you're using them, right? Why do you use Google? Right? It's information for free, right? It's completely free. And that's what created Google. Yes, they created uh, paid per click and Google has a really profitable model as it monopolizes information. Um, but, uh, but you use it because it's free. And then Waze is free. And then they add this. And then your, then your Google Assistant is free on your phone. Look at your look at the phone that you use. My first phone um, cost two thousand dollars. My first phone bill cost twelve hundred dollars, um, and all of it is made phone calls. Um, and ironically, is I bought that phone when I was in real estate. So, <laughs> so uh, um, and and it gave me damn real estate. See, it gets you. The real estate gets you every time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And it, and it gives you an advantage, right? And it gave me an advantage. And then, but look at your phone today. It's no longer a phone. It's your guitar tuner. It's my guitar tuner. It's my AI assistant. It's my information. It's my camera. It's my music player. My medical and device. My I mean, medical device. I wear an aura ring that tells me everything about myself in the morning when I wake up. Exactly. And all of these things are about information capture, right? And they get cheaper, more abundance and cheaper and cheaper over, over time. So if you actually used real dollars, right? So 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 let's do, first let's look at the inflation-adjusted dollars, right? So now you can buy a phone. If I wanted to buy the, a, a new phone, call it fifteen hundred dollars on, and and then I can buy a plan for fifty dollars a month for almost unlimited, or I can get last year's phone for fifty dollars a month unlimited, right? And it gives me all of that abundance for. Next, next to nothing compared to the phone that only made phone calls. I guess in that type of environment where I get lost a little bit is that if, if, if there's abundance of everything, how does someone who wants to participate in the economy get rewarded or produce value? Okay. Am, so, I, am I making sense? Yeah. So, but let's kind of start with, uh, I think we have to get there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I'm, I know I'm jumping ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. But I think it's a, I, I think we need to go there, but let's just say technology is moving that fast. You celebrate technology, you celebrate the deflation and why do you use Amazon? Right. They add cheaper and cheaper products, more and more abundance, more and more things. And then they add, then they give you free shipping and then they add movies for free too. Right. It just every single platform you're using is the same uh, is the same thing. You're celebrating that and 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 use some. In fact, that's how technology companies create so much value because they're they're driving that onto an onto a network effect. But that today is up against. So prices want to come down everywhere because technology just isn't in your phone today. 
right? Just technology is just not in your Google searches. It's moving into every industry at light speed. Um, it's advancing so fast, and most people don't see it because they're not aware how fast it's uh, that's it's, that's moving. So that's wanting to drive prices down and reduce labor. Um, and and competing against that force. So let's call that one giant force. That's that's uh, that's in sure. Yeah. And competing against that force is, is our central bank. The direct opposite, yeah. Because we've lived in an inflationary world all our lives, trying to make prices go up. So the printing of all the money, the massive debt that's being, the negative interest rates and low, uh, low interest rates is pushing money into asset owners at a, at a, at a, at a compounding rate against the, the, so these forces are competing against each other. And, and there's no way that central banks in the end can win against technology, technological deflation. They can, over time, destroy the value of currencies on the way there, right, which they're doing. They can, on the way there, drive massive inequality to the world because, because people, owners of the assets get rich, right? And everybody else gets killed. They can do all of those things, but in the end, they will not be able to stop the the, the natural force of technology and technological deflation. It's like it's it's like flapping your arms and thinking you can fly against gravity. They're not going to win. So the force you the force of technology is so great. You're saying that doesn't matter what the central banks do to try to create inflation they're up against something that they have not encountered before and they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, from the book, I use a lot of the examples because businesses got caught in the same thing and all an old business doesn't see and um, see what's coming. Um, and they get married to their old business and driver of economic value. So Blockbuster is a really good example that I use, right? So 9,000 stores predicated on uh, people going into the store to pick up movies and the only thing they didn't see is how fast uh, digitization was happening and download speeds, right? Because Netflix, when Blockbuster could have bought Netflix for $50 million and everybody laughs that they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but again, we laugh at that. But, <laughs> but the only thing that they did, the only thing they missed is because technology, terrible business at that time. It was, it was mail or yeah and, and yeah mail or I remember I had a friend from California saying I'm doing this great thing I I get movies mailed to me and then I have and I'm like do you have to mail them back yes. I'm like oh my gosh that's horrible like I hate I was like this is he was raving about it but I, I was thinking it was horrible it's a terrible business yeah. they could make it they could make it easier by giving free delivery and everything else but that comes at the cost of their business and so it wasn't scalable at all but. But what happened is download speeds went from to, to you could download a movie in a week to download a movie instantly. And, and all of a sudden, in an instant, Blockbuster's business was dead. There's nothing they could do, right? And, and, and because all of the advantage, all of, the, all of their advantage, the stores, became their disadvantage overnight. Mm -hmm. The stores and Rabel run, run them. And they weren't positioned to what happened. So if you think about kind of that or Kodak creating the digital. Yeah, I love that example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They created it um, and didn't monetize it at all because they were wed to their film business where they made more money. And if you think about that fight kind of in businesses and that creative destruction forces, that fight's going on at a, at a meta level today. 
in our world, right? That's the fight that's going on at central banks trying to stop this, and they don't see it. It's not bad people. No, okay. yeah, ra- rational individuals, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they don't see how fast technology has changed the game, yeah. and they're still looking at economic models in historical terms when demographics mattered more or or you could outsource labor to China and everything else, and you could, you could look. But technology has marched forward and made such a dramatic impact that they can't see how fast that's moving. Uh, so I have two, I want to get back to the central banks in a second, but I have two questions for you. First, do you think, you know, when you see like Walmart being kind of like overtaken by uh, Amazon, and then in your book, you start talking about 3D printing. Yep. And I remember five years ago, someone was talking about it. And I'm like, oh, that's just never going to happen. They were talking about the destruction of the supply chains because we wouldn't even have to ship anything anymore. Like what would happen to the big boats and, you know, 18 wheelers when you could just print stuff. And I'm like, ah, that's, that's got to be like 30 years off. <laughs> and then I think it was on one podcast you mentioned, I forget somebody creating a wedge. Was that you talking about something on a boat? I forget. I, I, I've read so much about you now and heard so much. I can't even remember where I'm hearing some of this stuff. But do you think 3D printing can and then usurp Amazon? So, so Amazon probably won't let that happen because Amazon's it's now such a monopoly, but could it? Yes, there, there's an opportunity. So, so think about what's valuable. And first, I guess to get there, let's go with, you've heard this, but maybe your audience have, hasn't. I've asked this question tens of thousands of times across the world. I put it in my book. But if you take a piece of paper, a normal piece of paper, and you fold it 50 times on itself, you can only fold it seven. But if you could continue folding for 50 times, that piece of paper reaches to the sun. And 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 it's not, and I know you know the answer because you've read it a couple of times, seen me say it a couple of times, and then you think, okay, I know that answer. But that's not the point. Nobody ever in all of my talks gets the answer unless they've known the answer before. Right? Most people, 99% of the people, 98% of the people guess about two inches. And, and it's, so what that says is it's so hard for human beings to comprehend how uh, exponential patterns. But technology is running on an exponential pattern. And, and it's doubling every 18 months to two years. And so, so why that matters, why that analog is really important for 3D printing, what you asked about, and everything else is we're on fold 33 today. So in 18 months, two years, the entire history of kind of all of the automation that we're seeing since 65 doubles. So we're, we're, now, we're now taking the big steps towards the sun instead of the small steps. And the same thing why what ended up happening you in 3D, into 3D printing and happened to me and it happens and it's, it's called uh, the hype cycle or the Gartner hype cycle. And what ends up happening is you, you first, you, on the first folds, you have this expectation of something that's going to be really incredible and it disappoints so much. Yeah, totally. Because it it's nothing. Like 3D printing, remember when, four years ago. I think I saw etched, a block, a exactly. block being built or something. It's etched into our brain. And it and it's this, this that almost you like dismiss that, it. You dismiss it. Yeah. That Netflix example is a perfect example to that. It's etched in our brain as as this thing that and it's, yeah. it, it takes 24 hours to a little plastic widget. That's not what 3D printing looks like today. And so what's valuable in the, in the data is, is the data, right? So, so what's valuable in Google is the data. What's valuable in, in, in all of these tech companies? It's the information capture that's available. 
And so when you can print at home, and I, I did use that example of the wedge for our ski boat, um, the, um, uh, my friend for $1.86 just printed an $800 part um, and, and he designed it and everything else. And now that design, which he put back up into the cloud, is available for anyone in the world anywhere to print for $1.86. Next year, it'll be a dollar. The year after that, it'll be 50 cents. Um, not only that, the quality will get, uh, get better and a whole bunch of other people put other designs that might be better than that one. And so somebody at some point is going to capture these 3D images and to be able to be able to, and, and it'll look like another monopoly business. So the real value going forward, I, and we've always talked about this, that big data, data mining, like we've talked about these concepts, not, not you and I, but just all of us in general, but now it really feels like the data is really the ultimate piece of value. And then so, once it's given away for free, it's kind of like that's really the abundant future you're talking about. It just keeps on magnifying. So, so what ends up happening is, so forget that. Let's talk first about the monopolies where companies can create tons of value there. And a lot of what I think about in the companies I invest in and, and help are all about capturing that information. And 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 so when. Google indexes today 130 trillion web pages at last count. Actually, they, they stopped publishing it uh, a number of years ago. It's probably way higher than that now. 130 trillion. And so when you go to Google, um, nobody, no human being is sorting what you see. It's all done by algorithms. And so all of that competition trying to get to the first place, the first page, mm -hmm is is driving prices down so there's a whole bunch of people trying to get to the first page driving to try to give you more value right that's the information capture and you get more value as they create more value google just sits in, in the middle and there's always somebody trying to reduce a price to give more value right and google is just constantly where you never go to page 472 so you have an illusion of choice of the of the 130 trillion web pages but you trust Google's algorithm um, to be able to do it. And the algorithm is all AI. And so what's feeding the AI is all of the competition trying to reach you and you and everybody else trying to determine. So every click you don't click on teaches the AI as well. It, it's, yeah, when you break it down like that, it's so good because just from a mar the marketer in me sees it because before to capture someone's email address or contact information for our own business, yeah. you could give a little piece of information away for free. You know, something about real estate in the Toronto market and people would gladly hand over their email address, their mailing address, everything for that. And over the last decade, it's gone from just being, you know, maybe offering a, a free report right? And someone would gladly give it. And now you, to capture someone's information, that value exchange, people, you have to give away a report, a consultation, the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, like every, the line has been moved so far. And I guess that's why I keep coming back to, and I know we're going to get to it, just where's the value created in an economy anymore when so much of that is given away? by yeah, everyone and, 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 and that's the point so think about what you're doing to capture the business uh, your business value against people that want to find your business and every single other company like you, you i know yours is really different but uh, and it and it is but 
imagine it wasn't. Sure. Right? Um, and every company that looks ex- like you that is in a free bar is trying to get the same. And they're all saying the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And they're all trying to get that first page. So it's, so what ends up happening is prices keep going down. There's more and more, comp- more and more. And while there's money in it, Google just keeps taking it all, right? Or most of it. And you do more and more work to be able to do that. But it's not all bad. Right. So Google, yes, is, it wins most of it, but but the customer is winning, right? That's why they're using it. Totally. And and so all of that all of that work is driving straight into the hands of lower prices and and, and more choice for the customer. You talk, uh, and I probably missed it. I've been through your book twice, and I guess I've missed it. You talk a lot a lot about first principles. You you throw that at the first principles. What am I missing? What are first? What are the first principles you're referring to? I must be slow, just so you know, because I miss it. I'm like, ah, I want to ask him this. It's a way of thinking um, into into what's true for sure, right? So, 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 a a way of keep on asking until you're to the base. Got it. Okay. Okay. So let's so use inflation and deflation as an example, right? So most people would accept inflation is a good thing because we've always been told it is. Prices go up. Your house price go. Your house price goes up. It's the best thing you ever bought. So, so why is that? Why is inflation true? Right from a first principle. Why? Why is inflation good? True. Right. Is 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 it only because we've constructed the world to to, or is it because it's a fact? Right. And so, what ends up happening is if you think in first principles and kind of root causes and keep asking why, um, you get to the base. And you build really strong foundations of knowledge. Got it. Okay. And in a, in a, a world where kind of everyone's competing for your attention, in Google, like the, it's it's a feature of the system that the system is actually removing things you won't click on. But the feature in the system is actually a bug, because because it, you keep on reinforcing things you know, without questioning things you know. Right. So there's a whole bunch of these things that we never ask because it takes a lot of thought to go deeper on something. So we just trust the things we read and the we read the things we read reinforce on themselves on an end, never ending loop. And so when you see that in society, you'll you'll look at somebody else and you go, How the hell could they think that? Right? But totally, yes. Can't agree more. But it might be you. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a hard question. It might, be, it might be my context is incorrect. It might, it might yeah, it might be, uh, it might be. So, so in, in a time where you're kind of. My friends do a good job of telling me that it's me too, just by the way. By, Jeff, by the way, so you know. the beautiful thing about probably why you liked the book, beautiful thing about this conversation, just even the one just before uh, this with you and I, I could tell you're really curious. Right. You are curious and, and, and people like that aggregate friends around them that will tell them exactly what they're doing wrong in the world. <laughs> and, 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 and instead of being in a loop of uh, a reinforcing loop. So, uh, but, but that curiosity is, is, is around first principles. So you're, you're looking for deeper, you're looking for things that might not be true, even if you believe if formerly believed they were. Yeah, when, I think when I first questioned inflation was, I, I thought, wait a second, I saw my father in the 1980s work really hard as a drywaller. He got up at five in the morning, he would go in the middle of winter and throw up drywall sheets and get paid for this hard labor. And I thought, if, and he saved money. 
And if he wanted to pass that on to my son, his grandson, or, you know, my daughter, his granddaughter, and he, and, and that money represented his labor. I thought, wait a second, when he passes on that money to my, you know, my son or, or my daughter, it, it, what it is worth at that point is completely different than what his labor represented in the 1980s. And this is, my, there might be 30 years later or whatever, but why, to me, that's when I first realized, oh my gosh, the system is robbing my father's labor. It's, it's, it's a thief of his labor. And that's, Jeff, what totally set me down the rabbit. It was that realization. Then I went to the Bank of Canada's inflation calculator and they kind of sold it as something good. You know, yeah. like, oh, here, here's what it is. And I totally, you know, when you go down the rabbit hole. So to me, this was like 2008 when the financial crisis and I had these thoughts. I'm like, I have told, to your first principle thought, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah. And that's, and that's the point. Because if they said, if the central bank, instead of it said, it said, we're inflation targeting, we're trying to drive inflation. If they instead said, we're doing everything possible to make your money worth less. Right. Yeah, totally. you'd, go, you'd go, what? Yeah. Like what? But, but people just in a go game, along by not asking, by not going to first principles. They just accept it and say, "Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Why let's let's get inflation up? Let's let's destroy the value of our currency faster." Yeah, yeah. and the the biggest argument I hear back will be, "Well, incomes go up." And then I started realizing, wait a second, the people who get the money first are the people who take debt. So when we help investors buy properties, at first we just figured real estate was like, had this good history to it and it's the way to get ahead. But then we realized, wait a second, we're actually the ones getting access to the money first because it's one of the very few ways in Canada or the world that I, Tom Karadza, can sign a piece of paper and upon my signature, I'm creating $400,000, $500,000, $600,000 and buying this asset. That money did not exist before I signed that piece of paper. And that puts me in the pole position because I'm closest to the money so that when other people do that, it drives up real estate prices. I can then refinance, create more money with my pen. And then I'm like, wait a second, I'm getting a lot of benefits here from being an asset owner. And then I start looking around, Jeff, just so you know, and this is what we, we talk about with my, some of my friends, like, am I taking advantage of the system? Then you start like, am I, am I like, you know, part of the problem here, but you just begin because that's the way you can get ahead. Yeah. Right. So, so let's just play that. Let's look deeper on what you just said. I think it's, it's a really good example. I think real estate is one of those stores of value. It's, it, but nobody asks the question. So in thinking in first principles on real estate, nobody asks the question. I hear all the time, and you know, I'm in real estate, have a bunch of real estate. And so it's not that I don't think it's a good investment. It, it is, especially in times like this. I'm going to put a caveat on that though. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in if you if you said it, when when I hear real estate always goes up, if in the last twenty years to stop the natural order of things, technology technological deflation, governments around the world or um, governments, individuals, companies have have increased debt by one hundred and eighty five trillion dollars. So now there's before COVID, there's two hundred and fifty trillion dollars of debt in the world. Um, 185 trillion of that debt has been added in the last 20 years. So ask the opposite question. If you didn't create $185 trillion of debt, what would real estate prices look like? Yeah, good good question. And yeah. it loops right back to your, your question. You would see the value of your labor, which is really your time. 
um, and, and, and your time would go further. And what's, what's happening is, is there's a whole bunch of people without access to assets that are getting pushed up artificially that are underneath that line and they can never catch up to how fast these assets are, are inflating and they're getting killed and they can't feed their families. They can't. And so they're, it's horrible. The dislocation of society horrible is and then there's a whole bunch of people you know and i commend you for bringing me onto your show from a real estate point of view because there but but i i really do because there's a whole bunch of people in our position right winners of the economic game right that 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 think it's because of intelligence yeah (laughs) i know totally now i might have thought that years ago but now i look back (laughs) i go wait a second i've just been pretty fortunate in some of these choices here i I rode the trends i got to the assets first i got to the it's not because real estate always goes up it's because it's manipulated to do so and that's picking the pocket of a whole bunch of other people who can't get in we That's happened cool. to start the business when interest rates went to historic lows. And who knew, who knew we would, we started in 2008, who knew the run real estate would go on. Yeah. Right. But that, but that obviously has helped us. Right. Well, so it's been very humbling, not even humbling. We're not those types of people, but you know, it is, hum- it is, it is opening when you're like, wow, I'm the beneficiary. First nine years of my career, I was in tech. So I joined Oracle in 1998. Then my last two years was at NetSuite. So I rode that wave. I'm like, wait a second. Maybe I wasn't the best salesperson ever at Oracle. (laughs) I was at the right time. (laughs) Wait a second. Maybe I Luck and and timing. You got to be smart to be lucky. Lucky to be smart. (laughs) Totally. So now with us, so, and why your book just kind of fascinates me is because I never thought, I always thought, deflation was almost inevitable because the debt was piling on so fast, as you're saying, we couldn't get any more growth, like the growth for every, and I think you have it in your book, I forget which page, where every dollar of new debt is getting less than a dollar of, I I forget the exact ratio. Four four to one. Is it four dollars? Four dollars a debt for one dollar of growth. Yeah. So so imagine taxing that growth at 100%, right? You can never be, you're, we're so far past the point of rescue right now in debt that, that it will not be, it will not be paid back. There's just no way, way to. Okay. So that's what I want to ask you, because this is where with, with some of my friends, I really kind of get into the weeds and I want, cause at the, on page 194 of your book, you have this beautiful, you outline it really, really nicely. And it's, I think. Um, I do it a little differently when I talk about it. So I like the way you have it here. It's, it's like you're there, you say there's a couple of ways forward. There's austerity. We can yep. spend less. There's debt defaults. So, or, let's dig in. Let's do this. Do you do, oh. you do it? So, but austerity, spend less. And that would be a depression, right? And you reset balance sheets through, through earning over time. And, and but the uh, austerity, uh, austerity because you're, you're, you we would have to save before we could spend is basically what you're saying exactly. it would be like re- some crazy concept like that exactly. <laughs> save before we spend some crazy concept. <laughs> i know right, go to two <laughs> okay so two is debt defaults or restructuring which i talk a lot a lot like about a debt jubilee i think you mentioned it or you have mentioned it that kind of thing let's explore that one um so so who gets the, the assets 
if you remove the balance sheet implications, uh, uh, so to, to make it really- I'm saying the bank should suffer and the homeowner, the people in the homes keep their real estate. That's how I look at it. Okay, then, then what about the people who've consolidated a hundred homes? Yeah, what about, okay. and go up a level from there. What about the governments? It, to make this poignant, that's actually why if you look at first principles, you could go deeper and you, you, it forces you to look at the bigger picture. And, and But let's imagine in, in your example, instead of just in Canada and everything else, because if the banks suffered, then the banks would also fail, right? And then the government would also fail. But let's go up another level. Uh, in China, there's so many black pools of, uh, of just making up money. It's just, it's never, it's an impossible to repay. So, so should they be able to buy assets all over the world with made up money? Got it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. You keep mm-hmm. the assets in their hand. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, that's why I wanted to go in. I would have to be in charge, Jeff. I would have to be in charge. I would also trust you. So (laughs) thank you. But it just, it it, it allows you to see when people say, oh, we should just do a debt jubilee. (sighs) I was hoping for a debt jubilee. You're crushing me right now. You're crushing me with that one. Okay. (laughs) The next one is, so option three, the central bank printing money or other guarantees, which to me, but but go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. That's what we have right now. Right. That's why we have massive easing of money. And anytime you're doing that, essentially what you're doing is you're, you're rigging capitalism. So, so it's, so imagine, I mean, for this example, I'll say, I'm a CEO of a giant corporation and the government has said it created a system of negative interest rates where they've told me, if you hold cash, we're going to penalize you because we're going to make it worth less money. So in that environment, I will not hold cash. I'll be do stock buybacks, right? So I'm running my my thing as hot a company as hot as possible, with high risk. But as soon as I, there's any sort of pause in a market or anything else, I don't have cash because the government said don't hold cash. It's, it's yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. yeah. So so I need to come back to protect that business, the government for handouts, and so it's a one way bet. That, that it just keeps on reinforcing itself for all of the CEOs, all the all the, all of the companies. Like it's a it's a no win bet. And I guess what I can add to that maybe, and I don't know if this is right. Interested in your thoughts? Is there's no capital accumulation for them to invest in innovation or anything in their current business if they're in a slightly outdated business? You know, if they're being left behind a little bit, they have no savings to never mind weather a storm, but to invest in anything new. No, what they do is they pile on massive amounts of debt to do that. So they're taking, okay, got it. Okay, so they yeah, could do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Out labor, anyways. But but when when the debt can't be paid back, they 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 say to governments, all these jobs go away if you don't kind of make this debt go away or make the and so every time you're doing it, you're socializing the losses. And, and concentrating wealth faster. So what you're seeing today, like a massive the inequality, um, the billionaires in the U.S. wealth in the last three months has gone up 170 billion. Mm-hmm. Well, there's 40 million unemployed in the U.S. and there's yeah. bank lines. So you just—it's just a natural consequence. Okay. And and that's what honestly, it's what scares me a little bit because my mind just extrapolates forward. I'm like, I don't really the way I see this unfolding. I do not like, and that's why I just want to thank you again for coming on this podcast because I think it's conversations like this that we all need to have to get everybody thinking about this. So number four. So so far, you've killed one two and three by the way jeff you've just destroyed 
<laughs> Number four, transfers of money from those who have more than they need to those who have less. So much higher taxes for the rich. And, and on that one too, it, those transfers never happen. So that's what UBI is, right? That's why, the, the, um, and, and taxes are going to go way up no matter what. So, so you, right now in policy in Canada, there's a whole bunch of talks about keeping the CERB forever, right? Or, or a type of, uh, and, and. It seems like it's forever already, but if you're, you're probably hearing more things than me, so who knows where that goes. Where, yeah. where does that money come from? Right. Just made up money. And so if you, if you keep making up money, eventually your currency fails. And ask Venezuela what that looks like or Lebanon today what that looks like. And it turns into eventually if you can't, what is money, right? It's, you don't, it's, not the, it's not the basis and the numbers on it that you trust. It's the implicit guarantee that it, it, The scarcity. It, this is worth what I said, told it was worth. So if governments have a stated goal to make that worth less, at some point, point it completely breaks and people start questioning, like you're doing, what is, uh, what is money? So, but all of the consequences out of those four things, it's actually, those are the, uh, so a lot of times that higher taxes doesn't happen without revolution, right? Where, where essentially wealth gets so concentrated in the haves that the, the have-nots Mm-hmm. come back and they burn the system to the ground. So if you see the Black Lives Matter through that lens, um, it, and if you think about uh, if you think about feedback systems, feedback systems reinforce on themselves. So so I use a monopoly board example often, right? So if you win early on a board, if you capture a whole bunch of the properties, and you have other players that are going around constantly paying higher and higher rents until they're insolvent the game resets, right? And everybody gets chance to start new. But you can see how feedback systems work. If you win early, it reinforces positively, right? And it becomes easier and easier. And if you lose early, it reinforces negative. And it's- You, you give up. <laughs> but the game resets. But what if the game didn't reset? Right. What if the game? What if agreed? And that, that, yeah. What if the central bank stopped the game from resetting? Um, eventually, eventually, the society goes. And, and so, if you think about, if, if you think about Black Lives Matters or different different populations, it's reinforcing negatively. They can't get their kids into school. They can't get their kids in the best schools. They can't less and less jobs. And it just reinforces uh, edu- uh, from education. To, uh, to food, to housing, to uh, hospital care, it reinforces and eventually society breaks. Okay, so before it breaks there, because this is a really important point, before it breaks, you, you said something really key. You said if higher taxes go in place, it do, I think you said it doesn't get to the... You said something along the lines of like it doesn't get to the right people. Because And the reason I'm bringing this back up is everyone, not everyone, but uh, the conversation I have with people will naturally go to raise taxes. Yeah. And, and my, my, my thinking is when the system's broken, when the, you know, when we're not on, we're not operating on first principles, let's say, and the system's broken, we can increase the tax and you might, that might kind of sort of help, but get a bit of a consumption hit, you know, give the money, but it, it's going to destroy the money and destroy the system anyway. So it's a really, it's like a bandaid solution. Is that, is that, is that thinking? I think you, you nailed it. Here's a bit, maybe an easier way to understand it. Debt itself, if you raise taxes, is disinflationary 
in addition to all the deflation I'm talking about anyways, because it has to be because business taxes go up and there's less investment, right? So it takes money from somewhere and that has to reduce the overall economy. So, um, and if you keep raising taxes, the best talent moves to the, to other areas, right? And you kill the you kill. Mm, yeah, I never thought of that. The best talent moves away to a lower taxed environment. Yeah, yeah. So to do it, the whole world needs to come together on that kind of thing. Right. Okay. So which one of the four then are you picking that we proceed with? So, so, so here, here's what you're see in, in Canada. You have say conservatives on one side that would be be arguing. Uh, less, gov- uh, less government, less government spending, better, uh, better, uh, 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 better fiscal spending, right? On on, on that uh, on that side, what they don't know is that they're also probably arguing for a depression. Right. By the way, that is what should happen in capitalism. There is no light without dark. Right. There is no if a system grows too fast. It has to reset itself, and that's what capitalism wants. Okay, so then when I when I bring that comment up with people, sometimes I'll hear, "Well, then, Tom, you just believe in survival of the fittest. So you're not trying to help everybody. It's the survival of the fittest." Yeah, and again, so again, people will argue from their bias, right? From a, not from first principles, and I'm not arguing. I'm going to argue all sides. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Or debate all sides. I'm, I didn't say where I was. I said where one side is. So one argument comes down to exactly that, right? Capitalism, if you put government in control of capitalism, it doesn't, it's not capitalism, it looks like communism, right? So today, uh, today, today, how can, how can a business actually allocate capital properly? They can't. Difficult. The government, yeah. The government's in every in every business completely. So there's no there. And, and what, it's in the payroll system now here in Canada. Exactly. It's in it's, it's everywhere. It is the market, right? And, and so we we wonder why the market's going, the stock market's going so high because we're creating money out of thin air and piling it in the stock market and it's feeding back on itself. So it doesn't look like capitalism. And how does that look, right? So, but but let's say, so on one side you have this argument on. We have to do the right thing, clean the system. And yes, you'll have other people saying, what about the people who can't feed themselves? And then on the other side of that, so, but they're arguing on that conservative side. They're actually not arguing on first principles. They're arguing on an old system, right? Um, where you could get inflation, you could do everything else. And they're, everybody's screaming at each other, getting more and more divided, and they're missing the most salient point. Right, the technology has changed the rules, mm. completely changed the rules. And then on the other side, on the liberals or NDP side, is um, what about the people who um, who are left out of society? We have to the safety net, and it looks more like more and more like communism than anything else. Both systems fail. Um, and, and yeah, and this is where you go back to the first principles that it, this the system fails because we haven't seen this type of technology. So if Find me somebody that believes today, especially in technology, that we will have no, more net nude global jobs going into the future than we lose. Find me that person. 
if it is and 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 I'll, I'll debate that person all day long so uh, so on that note just to, just as a brainstorming exercise in the i don't know if i read this somewhere or you said it or where i saw it, but let's take the transportation industry are there not more people in the transportation industry today than 100 years ago even with all this you know technology improvement so so the thing that you read about the, the uber not the uber example but self-driving cars what's going up going to happen in that industry Correct. Correct. And you, yeah. And if you think about the transportation industry, how it's enabled world trade and everything else. So, so yes, a lot more people participating in it, but a lot of times in an industry, when an industry is being innovated this fast, you get all of the jobs in innovation plus the jobs in the existing industry until the existing ones. Until they, and, and then and they don't, they don't, that's actually where a lot of people make this mistake, right? They think they happen and, and economists make this mistake all the time. They, they look at their economy and everything else through this lens. Oh, yeah, it's producing jobs. But don't realize that the new one is going to take all of those and more. Right? And so, so when we have self-driving cars, why do you think uh, Tesla is underwriting insurance or talking about underwriting insurance? Because, because 99% of uh, accidents and $550 billion in cost, which is economy, it, repair shops, everything else, hospitals, death, doctors, everything else, is, is human error. Um, and as self-driving cars, it's not that they won't make mistakes, but they'll make them a way less rate, and then eventually they won't make mistakes. Um, and so if you think God, about... The industry changes fundamentally forever fundamentally, from there. Yeah, yeah. Fundamentally. So many of these industries just change fundamentally. It's like we're at this exciting time, but also scary time. Yeah. You know, like all, all at once, it's like there's all this awesome stuff happening, but also like terrifying, you know, like, holy crap. But, but again, it's terrifying because we, we, we were so married to the way that we did work before. That's okay. So, okay. So, and thank you. So then if this change and, and, you know, through technology, if there is abundance because technology just provides so much for all of us back to that question, I think I asked you earlier, where, where's the individual role? Do you think there's just more time for individuals to do as they please invest in the arts and like, you know, they don't have to, you know, you don't have to have two people in the household working nine to five every day, just frees up time. Yeah, so I'm gonna, the answer is yes, and I'll kind of, you already said it. When your labor, when your time is being reduced, when the value of your time. Yeah, okay. We're in a loop that we believe that most of our work is going into two people working, trying to save for a house, save for these things, so that one day when we're 60, we can retire for five or 10 years and live the good life. Well, it's all being robbed from us. Technology wants to make things free. And and free, the air you breathe is is free because it's abundant. Technology creates abundance. And and it'll create abundance everywhere. And your time will be valuable. And so if you so imagine a whole bunch of other things that you weren't trying to prop up in asset prices. So the the money right now is going to the things we need most housing, food, everything else that are scarce. And technology is going the other way. Imagine not having to work and getting more for less on it over and over and over. Can you see it go into, because I can see it in things like information really easily because of Google and just, you know, my background, but can you see the abundance come up in food and shelter too? 
I'm on two. Uh, I'm on two agricultural company boards, chairman of two boards, and the answer uh, you could look at them, or people could look me up. Okay. The answer is absolutely, absolutely. So. Huh. Okay. Because that's been my biggest hiccup. Yeah. I'm like, oh, how, are we really going to be able to make food abundant? So, so one Shelter of those, ab- one of those, one of those companies. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll take that little deeper dive on both of these. One of those. I want to respect your time too, Jeff. Do I have I have you for a few more minutes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. Um, one of those companies, Cubic Farms, does vertical farming in effectively containers. It's not it's not a container, but it's designed with racks and everything else. How much how much produce and how much how how much can come out of these containers, and they can be modular modularized anywhere, means you also miss having to have super long supply chains. Right, you change you you fund your 3D printing food. It's not 3D printing. No, no, I know, no, I know. I'm just using it as an analogy, but it's in this container. But the 3D printing of food is coming too. But it, um, but from from right now, these uh, could provide abundance of food anywhere, Um, and and they're coming down in prices. You should see what's coming out of this stuff. Wow. Okay. um, So, so. Yeah, so I'm right at the front seat of a whole bunch. And what about show? So, what's your first thought when I say shelter housing? So, so my first thought is that is this: if if the capital allocation didn't distort markets, that you had to own multiple all of these different places. Oh, got it. You you would be able to get it. Yeah. So so it's only pushing the wealth and shelter away yeah. from most people, and because that because that debt has to rise ever higher, and you have to take on more debt to service it. The people who control it, it sitting at the top, keep raising rents, and the people on the bottom are, are left out. And if my money held its value in a deflationary environment, the thing of that holds its value is not the hard asset; it's the money. My money can be passed from generation to generation, and my future generations can use my time to purchase what they need. This is Jeff. This is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but again, it's well, it's part of the reason, just so you know, like I I, I know no one can listen to this. I'm wearing this gold chain that you see here, Jeff. And the reason I wear people are like, why are you wearing a gold chain? That's like so like, you know, past its prime. And I'm like, this is my little statement that I'm on to the system. (laughs) And you know, this thing holds it. This is more like hard money. And it's why, you know, I like things like Bitcoin now as well. Right. And it's, it's, I'm like, okay, I see the hard money benefit of something like gold of something like Bitcoin. And I can put my family on its own hard money standard. I can buy some Bitcoin. I can buy some gold. And this is what we share with all our rocks. When we work with our clients, it's really weird, Jeff. We talk to them about real estate and then we're like, by the way, should probably check out some of this gold stuff and maybe look into some of this Bitcoin stuff. So everyone thinks we're a little crazy because we're talking about all these things because we come from real estate as a vehicle to live life on our terms, not like real estate's number one. You know, you don't know our history. Our family almost lost everything in the Toronto real estate market crash in 1990. So I'm very aware of what can happen to real estate when things go up and down. So I see, yeah, I can see it. So I'm more clear now. The savings hold their value in a deflationary environment. People can buy the housing they need. Abundant, abundant food is coming. And then what would end up happening is the natural order of things that as technology made things cheaper, there'd be a whole bunch of entrepreneurs trying to drive into those industries, trying to drive that down. While there was still money in it, there would always be somebody chasing it. But the chase would be bringing prices down lower and lower and lower. And for the entrepreneurs winning that, 
they would share, they would have more of the pie, but not then share, but not at a rate that is right now distorted. Right. That's not a, so, so what would happen is yes, you would still have entrepreneurs. You'd still have capitalism working perfectly, but it would be in service of society because the, the benefits of tech would be broadly shared. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Got it. Got it. This is, this is exciting stuff. When you talk about it in this way here, just this last few minutes, that's exciting. That's an exciting future. And I well, think you see that future coming. The transition to that future is that do you think the, the one of the ways people can prepare is maybe to pick up some hard money as a transitionary thing, like pick up some Bitcoin if you like that, pick up some gold if you like that, maybe? Is that a, I, a, a I, way? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think people absolutely have to have some Bitcoin. Um, the I think it's that important um, be, uh, because it works on a network effect. It's, it, just look at other countries that get into a currency crisis and say what happens. Um, so, so yes, I uh, hard money advocate in, um, in this. Um, the what uh, what I also say if you uh, if you have a bunch of money diversify, right? Diversify, uh, they realize that all of these bets are kind of bets, they're, they're binary. Government could lose control and everything else and, and eradicate a bet. That, so if you're in, um, if you had all of your stuff in real estate, for, for instance, expect taxes to go way up on real estate and you can't move it, right? Expect, uh, expect, or if, if taxes don't go up, expect that the mob is coming for your real estate. <laughs> And you can't. I can't believe you're saying this. This is something we've told some of our clients for probably three or four years that eventually you're going to be looked at as part of the problem because you've done this to try to get ahead for your own family, right? You've done this with all the right intentions, but at some point society is going to turn to you and say, oh, you own six properties. You're the problem. And it's so freaky to me that it's going to turn like that. I can see it coming and you and you're the first person that I've ever spoken to that said the exact same thing. I love that you're looking at that because if it, by the way what do you think how how do you think Hitler got uh, elected and who did he turn his attention to? Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. So the people yeah yeah because it's really easy to manipulate people when they feel left out. Um yeah. so I love that you're talking about this and everything else too. What I wrote the book because there's a better way. There's a way better way if we would talk about kind of what's driving the whole thing. But what I see in governments today, all governments today, is this short term. We're just and they're making the problem way worse, right? So, so if you think about, you used to be able to get an economic return on, so let's and still you still can, but let's say a road or a bridge, and ask why. Right. So, so why? Because you had the first, the short term. So it costs a lot of money. You got capital infrastructure project, but you got the short term jobs out of the the road or the bridge, and then you got a long term benefit as people traveled faster to work, right? And and therefore gained efficiency on your economy. That efficiency is all moving to technology, right? I, I was on a I was on a uh, House of Commons Finance Committee uh, meeting talking about this in the House of Commons, and the I, I, it was the irony was not lost on me that we're on a Zoom call, right? And there isn't one job in Zoom from Zoom. I know the CEO of Zoom; he's awesome, but there's not one job in Zoom, uh, Zoom 
that we're using on a House Commons Finance uh, uh, call because did, did the, the new superhighways are are borderless. They're, 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 the new superhighways are not roads and bridges. They're all technology. So we, I know, and I want to respect your time because it makes me think we're going back to a village mentality where the, you know, the nation, does the nation state even change? It, right? I, I suspect yes. I, sus, I, I suspect a lot of these things are within, but, but again, what, what a business would do or what an what a entrepreneur would do is they would look at an existing system and they would brainstorm, okay, this doesn't work any, anymore. We accept that, okay, something has changed the rules. How do we, what do we do? Let's put all our energy in designing the best system forward. Right? That conversation isn't happening. We're still stuck into on both uh, both sides of the political debate. Most people, when you said people are saying you're lit this and everything else, it's all caught in the old system. If we can fundamentally agree that technology is supposed to reduce prices and it's moving everywhere and it's expanding everywhere, which uh, it's impossible to argue that, then why don't we put all the energy into what should we do about that? Right. How do we design a better system? And that would need a global consensus, no? It would, uh, or or enough. That's that's why people are going into Bitcoin because a lot of people are seeing this, um, and systems don't very often change from the inside without revolution or war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of people are opting out of that system and going into, uh, um, and on a bunch of Bitcoin uh, podcasts, I would say it's so so. Uh, and I didn't come in from Bitcoin. I came in from kind of what has to happen. So, so although I'm pro on it, sure, I, but it gets to your first principles concept. Yeah, exactly. And and I and what I've been getting to is, is I don't want it to happen fast because the upheaval would be terrible. Agreed. Agreed. On Bitcoin today, that transfer of wealth, and then how do you drive down roads or schools or anything else? But the more governments do to fight it the more likely that event is. And I do not want a disorderly unwind. I wrote the book so you could actually do it, figure out it to, so that really smart people would come together and, and start talking about how do we transition. Well, I want to honor you, Jeff. I want to honor your time here. So thank you. I could talk to you about this for hours. Like you know this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Fun for me too. Trust me. I'm going to go text a few of my friends right now. Oh my gosh, you got to listen to Jeff talk on this. So I get a little obsessive on this topic. So I to, to run, bump into you and your book, totally fascinating. And when, listen, I feel like you're going to bump into somebody from the Bank of Canada before me, but you yeah. tell them there's some people on the West side of Toronto who are onto their game. Okay. And we're doing everything we can to navigate through their decisions. Okay. You just pass. Actually, you know what? Maybe leave us anonymous, please, Jeff. Don't even mention. (laughs) We'll do. Yeah. Don't even mention. But Jeff, thank you for this. Um, The price of tomorrow, why deflation is the key to abundant future. If you haven't, if if you enjoyed any of this conversation, you got to pick up Jeff Booth's book. Um, Jeff, the website, the best website to go to. I, so again, I didn't write the book too. So I, I do have a personal website, jeffreybooth.com. Uh, best to follow me on Twitter uh, at Jeff Booth. Okay. And we'll link to it on the show notes of this podcast for everyone. You know how to get to it. We will link to Jeff's links to uh, Twitter and to, to the book. I know you didn't uh, make the book or create the book for, to make money, but it's just so valuable. I really think it just, it changes the context of the discussion that you can have. 
And I think that, yeah, that is huge. And the more of us that have a different conversation, the more of us then can go to the government and have better conversations as a group. Exactly. So, you, you know, and I, you know, I can see what you're doing, Jeff. I'm on to your game. I know why you did this, but, and I value it. And I thank you for real. So there's a bunch of us out here that are very grateful for you doing what you're doing, because I'm sure you take some heat for some of this stuff, but uh, it, it's valued. So thank you very much. And I'm going to bug you at some point in the future to come back on this. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bug you. Anytime. Cool. Cool. Thank you very much. Hey everyone. So hopefully you really enjoyed that. If you haven't picked up Jeff's book yet, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future, we obviously highly recommend it. It's a great, it's a pretty easy read. Like you can get through it really quick, but it is a powerful read at the same time. So again, the book is The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to Abundant Future. I don't know if there's an audible version. I got the paper-based copy. So if there is an audible version, maybe he's reading it out. I'm not not sure, but uh, it is a great read. Highly recommend it. That's it for now. If you want to check out some of the real estate stuff that we are doing, you can register for our next introductory real estate training class at www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms.